This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Derek, that's Winkler, that's Horn. But right before we got started, Ryan, like, you know what's the most annoying thing? When someone offers to buy your lunch, and you, because everyone else at the table understood the assignment. Derek, the new guy, he ordered something that was on the menu. Winkler ordered something that was on the menu. You just made something up out of thin air and so I go to the menu and you were the last guy that I had to put on this order and you ordered something that literally no one has ever ordered in the history of humanity what was I supposed to do like I should have just got you like I don't even the, the worst thing just like only onions for lunch <laughs> McAllister's used to have an orange cranberry club can anyone in the audience even confirm that that actually happened have y'all heard of this this thing because I've been to McAllister's a lot somebody Somebody get on Undaunted.life on Facebook or... Uh, don't, don't go in the comment section. I won't read it. Uh, yeah. yeah, you do. <laughs> no, no, that's what you're for. You oh, read Facebook. it, you get yeah, mad I get the for Facebook. me. Yeah, right. I get mad for you. It's the Instagram that you do, their comment section. No, oh, I, I just, you know, it's kind of like a little cursory glance. Yeah, Insta. No, no, just so, a little bit. So but yeah, somebody put in Instagram that there used to be a Cranberry Club. But yeah, no, I made it easy. I just said, give me what Derek's getting. I'll eat that. Derek didn't even put down what chips he wanted. You made it. It doesn't matter because I just added them on there because I didn't want to ask Derek and have him think about it for the next like week and a half. But yeah, the thing about it is you you only did that. You said you made it easier. This was after you made it so incredibly hard. Arby's. I wanted Arby's. So did I. Like, hey, you guys voted against Arby's. What? Like, what is? Okay, (laughs) we're not. We can't get into Matthew four until we understand what y'all's problem with Arby's is. I like Arby's. Then why didn't you vote for it? Come I on. I need y'all, any of them. He didn't okay, vote at all. He couldn't make a decision. I got so frustrated. He just hit options. himself in, in the, the face with his own pen. Right. But like <laughs> I gave y'all options. I was like, you know, Papa John's, Arby's, or McAllister's. And I just kind of threw McAllister's in there because that's what white people like. And then everybody voted for McAllister's. I actually wanted Jersey Mike's. It, which is the worst. <laughs> Not on sub, the menu right, of choices. <laughs> which goes back to my initial point of Ryan makes everything more difficult. I gave y'all three options and he goes, third, a fourth option that wasn't even on there what was it like what was you like the best case scenario you said what was the best case scenario super white so i was like jersey mike's got cheesesteaks what are you saying <laughs> is cheesesteaks like a, okay i'm gonna cut this out i'm gonna cut this out before we like break the racist barrier on this show for the very first time so kids like listening at home if people give you three options for food that they are buying for you <laughs> Just order something that's on the menu and don't suggest a fourth option. Does that work? Used to be on. Does that work? (laughs) All I know is this guy didn't make a decision, and this is why we're in this predicament. Derek was the first one to respond. He was the first one to respond to tell me what he wanted. It was a sandwich with chips on it, which makes me like him even more. Fonz. <laughs> he was first. Yeah, he responded no, first. I don't think it was first. No. Do I, you have the receipts? I, yeah. I, I, hey, I, but we're gonna get into Matthew four. We're gonna get into Matthew four right now. So here's the thing, the uh, Ryan. Could you actually read Matthew four verse one? Verse one. Just yeah. one. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So right from the beginning here, it was one of those times where it's like I've read that before. I've read that a lot before. But then I was struck by, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus was led up by the spirit to be tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And I was like, hold on. I don't think I've ever heard a pastor talk about that. I don't think I, that ever made, like, made me pause before, but I immediately paused and I wrote, the Holy Spirit literally, all caps, led him into temptation. Mm-hmm. 
And then upon further review, right, after the challenge flag was thrown, I was like, wait, this is wild. Like, what does this mean for us on an everyday basis? And then for you more mature Christians that can read out there, it's it's obvious in light. I mean, I meant to have uh, somebody, would you mind looking up James one uh, thirteen real yep. quick, por favor? But I was just like, wait a minute, if if the Holy Spirit is leading us into temptation, like what like what kind of ramifications are there for us just in our normal everyday life? And so I was like, oh my gosh, we're being led. But uh, Ryan, whenever you get James one thirteen, go ahead and read that for us. This is Nasby, but um, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So in light of that, you know, if you're going to let scripture, read scripture, interpret scripture, it's like God doesn't tempt us to do evil, but he does test our characters. He does put us into situations where our character would be tested. Probably the most prolific example of that would be Job obviously, but that's where I wanted to start a discussion on Matthew four, because it's like, that's, that's not the, that's not the thing. Like you, that's, that's not the thing you're supposed to sit and talk about with Matthew four. There's so many other things. It's shock full with so many things that we're going to get to, but right from the jump, I was like, oh man, it just, you know, stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. I think when you look at temptation and testing, they're the flip side of the same coin. Um, I do think God allows us to be tempted. He is not the tempter. But he allows us to be tempted, just like he allowed Jesus to be tempted. And why would he allow this? Why would he allow this temptation? Well, the Father is using Satan to strengthen Jesus for his messianic role. He's that temptation and Jesus turning away from it is empowering him. It is strengthening him. It's it seems odd to say it, but if you are tempted. And you can, you know, refute those temptations by invoking Jesus and, and being armed with, with scripture. If you can do that, it is strengthening your faith. It's strengthening you every time. You just have, you have to resist it and you're going to need tools to do so. I think it's a good thing to look at that where, you know, Jesus is the son of God, but he's also the son of man. And so man is going to have temptations. Man is going to be tempted. And I think this is bringing out his his son of man qualities and, and he's going to have, he's going to run into the same temptations that we run into because he is in the flesh. And so he's got to be able to, to maneuver through those, just like at the garden of Gethsemane, you know, he's like, do I have to do this? Lord, he's, he's into his, his, a uh, you know, a fleshly moment, a, a son of man moment where he, his humanity is shining through. And so I think through this is just showing that we as humans are going to be tempted by the devil. And so Christ is now being tempted in his human form. First Corinthians ten thirteen: no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I, I, I don't know. I was looking at this last night whenever I was uh, studying for it. And I was, I was talking to my wife about temptation and how this you know, how it affects us. And I started going, it feels like Satan is Lucy and I am Charlie Brown waiting to kick the football. And she goes, what are you talking about? And I said, oh, well, let me, let me pull this up on YouTube so you can see it. So I pull it up and there is a 15 minute clip of Lucy pulling the football <laughs> away from Charlie Brown over and over and over again. And each time, each time she's telling him she's using, oh, it's tradition. Oh, it's, um, oh, you could do it this time. I won't do it. It's reassuring. It's, 
you know, it's Satan will use all of these tricks just to get you to kick the football when, and every time the first time she actually proposes the idea of him doing it every single time, Charlie goes, what do you think? I'm an idiot. I'm not doing that. And then it's just over and over. No, let me convince you. I can convince you to do this. And then he does. And then he ends up flat on his back with the same look on his face. Why did I even try and do this? I think it's interesting to look at that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights where he was hungry. It's like, just imagine like putting yourself through the ringer, like doing the, the Murph and then not eating for 40 days after that. Like, what would you do for a Klondike barker then? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd kiss a dude. I'll yeah. tell you right now. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, that's that the thing. It's like, that's, that's 100% what would happen. But yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. The, 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 the reason why Charlie Brown, which by the way, thank you for doing a reference that only people born in the 1900s can understand. Yeah. So appreciate old that. Old soul. <clears throat> but yeah, it's living in a new world. That's with an right. old soul. Um, but so the, the reason why he kept trying to kick at the balls, because he was actually convinced this time will be different. Yep. And Satan has a tremendous ability to be like, you know what, this time will be different, right? He's going to lead you into temptation thinking that this time will be different, even though he knows that it's not. But Derek, if you wouldn't mind reading verses two through six, please. Two through six. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you were the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, unless you strike your foot against a stone. So a lot of things here. Jesus could not start his earthly ministry until he was baptized and until he was tested. So there's something to think about there for parents out there that are sending their kids to public school and their kids are not professing Christians and they have not been trained. And you're like, well, that's their mission field. It's like every time that we see missionaries described in the Bible, they were adults and they were trained before they were sent. So just, there's a few things there that, you know, he had to be tempted, basically put through the fire and baptized before he was ready for his earthly ministry. But then we, we get into Satan's actual temptations here. And one thing I thought was interesting is when Satan said, if you are the son of God, that word, if, as it was written down, it's more like since. So people weren't like, so the, the way that this is written down is since you are the son of God, at no point here is Satan saying he's not divine, saying he's not the son of God. So that's something that's very, very important. He's not like, you know, if you are the man you say you are, like that wasn't really the crux of the temptation. But the, the very first one was like, he's playing on his emotions and feelings as a human. Mm-hmm. You know, again, 40 days, 40 nights, these are the only temptations that were described. But if you're being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, we can assume that there would be many more temptations just from the ones that were listed. But these were listed for a reason to teach us something about the, the heart of God and about the, the story of Jesus. But then it's that second one. And Ryan, I know you're chomping at the bit because we were talking about this in Sunday school today, that the devil is using scripture specifically to tempt the son of God. And we live in a moment where people will twist scripture. They're not using it. They're twisting scripture to make their point, which isn't it so interesting, aligns with their leftist policy prescriptions or their liberal worldview or their progressive sensibilities. And not progressive in the sense that, as you know, Doug Wilson would say, progressing towards an ideal 
of uh, a, a God-driven world, but it's progressing away from him, which is to say regressive. But I, I thought it was so interesting because he says, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. He's he's talking about Psalm 91, 11, and 12, but doesn't isn't it so interesting that Satan leaves out verse 13 where it says, the serpent you will trample underfoot. And so it's like he's leaving out the exact part that would be him cutting off his nose to spite his face. So I don't really want to say much more because I've, I've said a hundred things that y'all can respond to, but let, let's dig into that right there. What do you got, Derek? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It doesn't necessarily say he was hungry during those 40 days and 40 nights and that the temptation or whatever is turn these stones into bread so you can eat. Um, I remember who I was listening to. I think it might've been Alistair Begg, but he was like, um, make this, have you ever seen a dog, like a military dog? It's got his eyes focused on the master. Mm. The dog doesn't know what's going on around him. Right. His eyes are focused. Um, so it's kind of like God is, or Jesus is focused on the master living on God's word. He's not even hungry. He's not, he's not, uh, Tempted by what the devil's doing at the time. Mm. I don't know. That's kind of what it's kind of stuck out to me there. I thought it was kind of cool. I see where you're coming from. I mean, if you look at it, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, man should not live by bread alone. It's like, yeah, we need food to eat, but that, that fulfills us in one way, but God's word fulfills us in right. so much more than just the bread that we, I mean, it's the bread of life. And so it's the bread that we, we should strive for and, and, and look towards rather than, Hey, where's my next meal coming from? Cause we'll get into that later on in Matthew right. about where that comes from. But he's basically saying, you know, my, my side on God is more than what's rumbling in my stomach. Right. I think I want to be careful here. I think some, t- that's not what this show's about. I'm sorry. Just let I'm, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, I want to be careful with how we're phrasing this. The 40 days and 40 nights. Okay. I think as Christians, we de-emphasize Jesus's humanity way too much. Okay. Think about, I mean, he's fully God and fully man. Imagine going 40 days without food. <laughs> Imagine that. How weak would you be? How, I mean, how hard would that be? He felt the same pain that we do. He bled the same blood that we do. And to think that well, he was God and he's just kind of above all these. Of course he's above all things, but that's the entire idea behind Satan tempting him. He's now one of us. He's now one of us. These would get to us. How weak are we? If, if you, if you, well, you said I'd kiss a dude. I mean, I mean, I would I, I double I'm, down, <laughs> but how, how weak are we as humans? I mean, the, how often do our temptations get the better of us? And, and, and we're not even fasting. I mean, it's literally like the idea that, well, I've been doing it all this time and you know what? I can do it this one more time and then I'll stop. Well, I think, I think you make a great point. I mean, that's the point is 40 days and 40 nights. He hasn't eaten and he's like, here, I'm going to test your tummy. I mean, well, this guy will kiss a dude for a Klondike bar. You know, <laughs> we don't and, have to and, keep <laughs> saying that. Like it was just a one time thing, but yeah, we get the point. We get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to be part of lore. Like, sorry, Joby now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, but Christ, like you're bringing up a great point in that he's hungry. He's starving and he wants food, but then he points out the word scripture. Mm-hmm. 
and how more important it is than the rumble in his stomach and the the, Amen. the food that he needs right now. He's pointing out scripture. And then, so if you look at where we're going at, he points out scripture and God's word. And then now Satan tries to use scripture to trip him up. And so how many, you know, that's where it's, you know, we were talking about today is, you know, people twisting scripture. It's like, how many times do people twist scripture just to fit their narrative? to fit what they want. That's what Satan's doing right now. He's like, I wouldn't tempt this guy. So I want to use scripture and I'm going to throw him off. You know, he, what's your mind doing in 40 days with no food? I mean, I can tell you my mind in 12 hours with no food, I'm pretty crazy. Well, so I think the, the other thing that's important for us to understand here is <clears throat> I've grown to become weary of people that use a bunch of scriptures from different parts of the Bible in one sermon to make a singular point. Mm. Cause now I recognize that as a content creator, it's like, okay, let's say I need to make a point. How would I backfill it with scripture? Just friggin' just that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, and just kind of throw it all out there because you know, text without context is just text. And when you pull these scriptures out of the context of who was this message for, what is this describing? What is the genre of scripture that's coming from? Is it a historical? Uh, genre is it wisdom literature is it you know revelation like there there are a lot of different things that that could be talked about here but the the thing that's also very important is satan is so crafty he's not just tempting jesus in this moment so i'm specifically talking about where he took him to the pinnacle of the temple and then you know if you look at different descriptions we're talking between 300 and 450 foot drop from that temple to basically uh the bottom of the valley right so He's not just tempting Jesus. He's tempting the would-be followers of Jesus. And this is what I mean. Because if Jesus did just, you know, call down angels to basically keep him from falling and splatting on the ground, the people would have made him king immediately. Mm -hmm. And if they make him king immediately, this is what the Moody commentary pointed out. Yeah, he gets to bypass the cross. Mm -hmm. And how important is that? So if Satan gets Jesus to acquiesce, to his temptation, it doesn't just affect Jesus. It affects multitudes of people, right? And then we're not talking about the same story. We're not talking about this at all, frankly. And so I think that's really important to discuss. No, I mean, it's, it's the truth. I mean, if he kept the angels, he would have been made king. He would have been ruler. He wouldn't have fulfilled his mission of, of dying on the cross. I mean, no one's going to crucify a ruler, you know, at that point, maybe the Romans could add. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, cr- God has a plan for everything and everything that God wants to do, he's going to do. And, and we're looking at Christ, you know, he, though he's in human form and he's in, in flesh, he's still Christ and he's still God. And he still has a plan of what he wants to do And his redeeming factor. wasn't, wasn't politics. It wasn't, you know, social order. His redeeming factor was to save us from our sins. Mm-hmm. I do think, one thing when we talk about these temptations and Satan is tempting Jesus in different ways. So again, linking the Bible back, I was, as I was looking at you have the, Jesus is basically, he's claiming victim, victim, I'm sorry, victory over original sin with Adam. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's claiming victory over that because Adam failed in the absolute best conditions. And now Jesus is uh, winning uh, in the absolute worst. He's also reclaiming the victory for Moses and Israel because uh, each of Jesus' replies to Satan comes from Deuteronomy, which is Moses' final narration to the Israelites. So Israel had the endowment of the Spirit given to them, 
And Jesus was fully obedient to the spirit where the nation was not. So they, the temptations reenact Israel's history, but victoriously. Uh, and then finally, he's claiming victory because it is a confirmation of his identity and his mission as the son of God. So I think, it, again, I look at, you go back to all the way to original sin and then to Moses and the Israelites and the sin that they committed. And Jesus is right off the bat, Satan tempting those same, the, him in the same way he tempted Adam, Moses, and the Israelites. And he's like, not today. Right. Not happening to me. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we see right there in verse seven, you know, Jesus responds again. And he just says, again, it is written. That again is very important to where it's like, it's almost like Jesus saying, look, Satan, I know what you're doing. And so I'm going to use scripture to push back against you and specifically push back against your, you know, wrong use of scripture. Uh, Winkler, could you read verses eight through 11, please? We, there's oh, go one ahead, thing go I wanted to go off yeah, on yeah. seven real quick. Actually, this kind of goes back to a time that you, uh, a couple months back with uh, Life Church and the whole tithing thing. And this thing kind of, uh, reading this passage and reading what Christ says here um, made me want to go back and look at some things. Um, when he says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so we, we both know that what they're doing over there right now is, is providing, you know, hey, three months. And just to provide, a, go, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <clears throat> you were about to do the context, go ahead. Yeah, to provide the context, they're basically saying, tithe for three months, and if you don't see any blessings, we'll give you your money back. Yeah. And so I've... I've kind of come out against that, but I have, you know, some family members who go to, go to life church and they said, well, God says in Malachi 10, test me. And so I'm like reading this and then I'm like, and that family members telling me back in Malachi 10, 310, it says to test me. And so I went back and looked at that. And so, um, so what I struggled with that. And so in Malachi 10, God says, test me. And basically what, what it, in 13 or excuse me, 310, excuse me, sorry, Joby. Uh, <laughs> bring the full tithe. Yeah. Malachi 310, bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so there their defense to what they're doing is Malachi 3.10. And so I'm like, God calls us to test him, but right here in this scripture, it says one shall not put the Lord to the test. Well, then you go back to Elijah. And Elijah to go up against Baal. Did I, did I pronounce that right? Baal, Last time Baal I did it, it wrong. <laughs> so to go up against Baal and the, and the king at that point, you know, they put God to the test. You know, he's like, hey, Let's put my God to the test. Let's build, let's build an altar and let's start a fire and, and see what happens. So God's put to the test there. And I'm like, okay, is, is this what, what it's coming about? And it is to a point. And, and, and what they're doing here is that right here in Malachi 3.10, we went to Nehemiah a couple months ago. And during Nehemiah, we talked about towards the end, the storehouses, the storehouses were empty. They weren't holding up their end of the bargain. And so God is basically saying, Hey, you're putting your faith into something else other than me. And you're not fulfilling your part of the covenant, the covenant of keeping my storehouses and keeping my Levites and, and everybody, um, the tax that's supposed to be given. And so he's saying, Hey, I know it's been a tough time. Put me to the test. Let's go ahead and, and see that I'll bring blessings upon the nation of Israel. Well, that's during this covenant. And so during Malachi, that's during this covenant. And so now we're no longer putting God to the test. God's already been put to the test. This, you know, 
this has already been done. And so they're, they're basically what they're doing is they're doing what the Israelites did in regards to the rock and the water. They're saying, God, I want, you know, we're thirsty. Moses, what are you going to do about this? You know, well, there, our God's not doing what he told us he was going to do. Our God's not taking care of us. And so God allows them to strike the stone and bring water. So they put God to the wrong test. Right. And I feel like. And they put human strictures on the yes, test. Yes. And so that's what you're seeing with what the church, the life church is doing right now. It is not the right way to put God to a test. You're testing God based upon your own earthly blessings. And you need to give with a grateful heart. You need to give without expecting blessings. You don't, you give for that three months. And if nothing happens, you put your faith back in God and you keep giving. You well, know? It's, it's and, the pragmatic approach over the biblical approach. Cause again, I attended the church for over 10 years. And every time they talked about that, I'm like, that sounds like a really good idea. I Get people to you know start tithing and it gets them past that 21 days. It's now a habit and blah, blah, blah. And then if they don't see it, you know, they at least can get their money back and, you know, pay their bills or something like that. But then again, text without context is just text. And that's kind of the problem with, you know, just taking something out of Malachi and then applying it to something, you know, broader than that. In the new covenant, there isn't a 10%. There isn't a tax at all. It's giving with a grateful heart. That's what Christ wants to see. That's what God wants to see out of us. And I don't remember the 90 day money back guarantee in the older new covenant <laughs> either. So uh, there is that, but Winkler hit me up You mean tithing with, doesn't come with a warrant? Yeah. No, there's Sorry, no I, just, warrant. I wanted to bring that print. up. No, I just wanted to bring that up. That's good stuff. All right, hit uh, 11 through, or eight through 11, please. You got it. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So that concludes the temptation of Jesus. The one thing I did want to point out just briefly, in verse 9, And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He's offering Jesus a shortcut. And as we all know at this point, if someone ever offers you a shortcut, we should be very, very wary of that. Hey, here's your shortcut to fitness. Here's your shortcut to more money. Here's your shortcut to more prominence. Here's your shortcut to more followers. Like most of those things are not that there's something else happening there. I'm thinking about there's this new kind of medication going around that people are using <laughs> off label to try and lose weight. And they're like, this is great. And this is awesome. The problem that they're seeing is wouldn't you know it, there are really horrific side effects for losing it for that purpose or using that particular off label medication, Ozempic, that for yep. using it for that purpose. And the other thing is, is like these people are losing weight on the scale, but they're also losing muscle tissue and connective tissue. So they're skinny fat now. And so it's like now they're, they're open up to more injuries and all that. And like the whole, the whole idea is I was reading this, there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's always somebody that will come calling and there's always, <clears throat> when you look at new modern worldly wisdom, it's the wisdom of shortcuts right? Mm -hmm. Do this and you will get a shortcut, but there is no shortcut to wisdom. There's no shortcut to a better diet. There's no shortcut to any of these things. It's daily boring discipline in the exact same direction. So I got two people pointing at me. So who's going to get after I would, it first? I would, I would go first is because we're talking about the Ozempic. Uh, you know me, I'm on a weight loss journey right now. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I finally realized that I'm insanely overweight. Um, but, uh, it was something back during the Nehemiah, um, thing that we went over over the book of Nehemiah where you had a friend who or a person reached out to you and said his buddy's not going to work out because he wants to focus more on theology and, yeah, and ministry and all that and ministry rather than his personal health and I never really had that but I was like yeah hey, I need to focus on that 
um, Ozempic was brought up for me. They're like, hey, you want to lose it fast? We can go ahead and give you this shot. And I was like, no, I need to make this a lifestyle. I need to make this something that I lose the weight naturally and I do it by hard work and by eating the right portions and eating the right things. And I was like, I know that there's shortcuts, but those shortcuts are only a time and a season because I'll take those shortcuts. I may lose 50 pounds, which is, you know, my goals, my goals, 45, I may lose 50 pounds, but after I lose that 50 pounds, I'm going to go back to the way I was eating before probably. <laughs> and you know, what's going to happen. I'm going to gain it all back. So you have to make a lifestyle choice. It's just like, you have to repent. You have to change your mind rather than taking the shortcuts around it. You've got to change your mind and know I'm going to have to put in the hard work. I'm going to have to do things I don't want to do. I'm going to have to listen to Kyle, give me a hard time about things and make me mad. But you know what? It just makes me work harder and it makes me want to be like, shove it in his face. That's but right. That's and, what I and do. When you arrive, you will know that you got there the right way because yep, I yep. like, you know, we'll keep it simple. In high school sports, there were people that were doing things to get advantages that I was unwilling to do. And that some of those were synthetic. Some of those were just relational, but it's like when you earned it, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. One of the best things my dad ever did for me was never talk to my coaches, mm. which sounds weird because it's like that. Why did your dad not talk to your coaches? Your dad rude. It's like, no, there were a lot of guys on the teams that I played on whose dads were sponsors of the team. And so there were players that weren't very good that were getting an odd amount of playing time, like an oddly high amount of playing time. And I remember one time being so frustrated at my level of playing time, uh, specifically talking about baseball and on my way home, I'm like, dad, just, you know, why won't you do something? Like I always see, you know, this guy, his dad's talking to the coach and then he gets more playing time and you know, all this stuff is like, why won't you do anything? And my dad, who's not, you know, he, he wasn't big on nuggets of wisdom. That wasn't really his style. He just said, son, when you earn the playing time, you'll know you'll have earned it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, in which that's just kind of like all shucksy type wisdom. But it's like, you will know that you deserve it at that point. And it's just like, it, it wasn't handed to you because of something you didn't do. It was granted to you because you earned it. And so I, I think that that's a very important thing as well. Even as we look at scripture, just that's a good little sidebar right there that if you're looking for a shortcut, same thing with Bible study. Well, what's the shortcut to getting ready for the forging table? There, there really isn't one. No, you can come here and fake it. But, <laughs> I done tried it. No, right. so <laughs> there, there really aren't shortcuts. Like you have to spend the time in the word. So, uh, Ryan, I'm going to set you up for failure here. Verses 12 through 17, because there's some uh, names in here that are hard to pronounce. So I can't wait for this. Oh man, 12 Ready, 17. Go. Okay. Now, when he, when he heard that John, now I didn't think you would get hung up on he. <laughs> Come on. Like I'm worried about stuff. A little bit I was just, no, I was just like, want to make sure I was reading the right you thing. You can reset. So. Ready, set, go. Yeah. Okay. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. 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 See, there we go. Sorry, Joby. <laughs> by the sea, by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun. Nailed it. And Naphtali. Naphtali. I said that. I know. Naphtali. I just wanted to mess okay. up. I messed you up. <laughs> so, <laughs> So that, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen great light. For those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, of them a light has dawned. For that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, 
the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Nailed it at the end. You really drove it home there at the end. But Did you like that, the, Joby? The significance, he liked it. I can feel it in the future whenever he's listening to this. But so this is the official beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. This is obviously a big deal. I may have made too much of this, so I just didn't know what you guys had heard before. But obviously we know that Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30. Okay, not yep. 21, not 50, 30. Have y'all heard anyone talk about the significance of 30? Because there have to be things that are in the Bible that are not super important to our overall understanding of God. There are, some, there are details that are just details. But it's like the, the age that the you know, Son of God started his ministry, there, maybe there's something significant there, but I haven't heard of anything. Were, were you at ABF when we kind of went over this? No. Okay, so uh, otherwise I wouldn't have said that in my introduction. I would have just said, <laughs> I, I didn't know. This didn't, is what I heard. I didn't know if you were setting yourself up or no, no, no. no. Yeah, I, I literally okay. didn't. Um, I didn't want. I didn't want to steal the steal the thunder. No. Bring um, the thunder. Can't remember the the gentleman's name. I don't. I don't. I think it might have been Tim Neff or I think it was Tim. Was it Tim? Okay, and he basically talked about the the rituals of of uh, Jewish kids and how they start to learn the scriptures. Um, and memorize the scriptures. And then from there, depending on who the highest ones in the class were, they would go along and go to the next step, which would be like a collegiate version of Hebrew and the law and scripture. And then if they make it from that percentage, then they would go to a rabbi and be under a rabbi for a certain amount of time. And that rabbi would like teach them and they would be a part of that ministry. And then um, from there, the rabbi would then go. And um, they would go and then become a rabbi. And so usually by that time that that they become a rabbi and start their own ministry, it was around 30 years old. And so um, that's, that's kind of like the way that it, that it worked, that they would move on um, and how you would become a Pharisee or a Sadducee or Pharisee, not a Sadducee, but become a Pharisee. Um, You would become a teacher of the, of the law and a, and a, and a priest and a prophet. So you'd be a rabbi, a teacher. 30 years. I did not know that. Yeah. It's usually around the 30 year mark. Like you, you're like under the tutelage of somebody for like at least 10 years and you follow them around in their ministry. And as they are a rabbi, you're like, you're their understudy. And then finally, when you graduate from that, you move on to be your, your own rabbi. And then you get an understudy. basically. Yeah. And then you get an understudy, which 12 disciples. And I think Peter kind of took that role. Um, for Christ. But, um, but yeah, basically you go and you find a bunch of followers and then they follow you. And so Jesus kind of kept to that, that tradition. Um, he had a totally different message than what the rabbis were, but he knew scripture and he knew very well. Why? Cause he wrote it. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I will, I will add something here. I think the calling of Simon and Andrew and James and John is such a good example of obedience. It's such a good example. Jesus comes to them. He doesn't have an army, doesn't have a sword, no weapon, no backing of any religious leadership or governing authorities, and just demands unqualified obedience, just says, follow me. Mm -hmm. And they do it. They do it. And it should be like that for all of us. Jesus says, follow me. Winkler, go and read 18 through 22 to set that up. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, while While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, 
James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Zebedee. Sorry. Joby. Sorry who? There it is. Joby, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to get all of you. I'm not Derek, if you talk to more, it'd be messing up. With yeah. you. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So, again, many times as I was studying Matthew this time, things hit me that I just skipped over last time. There was one word repeated twice that basically defines this whole section, which goes back to a point that you were just making, Winkler. Immediately, mm-hmm. they left their nets and followed him. And then 20, verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So immediately is important. And the second one, they left their boat and their father, like they left their father in their business. Yeah. Yeah. And again, as we read through scripture, there's obviously more things that happen here. And if you watch, you know, the chosen, like they obviously talked about this particular section and they kind of show it and there's, you know, different details, but what type of overwhelm? This wasn't an overwhelming pitch. He's just basically like, "Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." Mm-hmm. They're like, "Okay," and then they just do it. Like that—that's odd. If Jesus nothing else, pops. I think they've already heard the message because uh, some of the con- uh, commentary I was reading, Andrew already might have been a disciple of John the Baptist. When I saw somewhere else, who was it? Um, where I think Simon and Andrew. They were also disciples of Jesus at one point. Yeah, I was read of Peter, Peter and Andrew yeah. had followed Jesus previously, but kind of in a part-time basis. Yeah. So he was calling them to be, hey, don't be contract uh, employees of the discipleship now or whatever. It's like, hey, you're going to do this full time, which is interesting. But still, even that, it's like they were back fishing. And Jesus is like, no, come, let's, like, let's do this for real. And they were like, yeah, immediately. I mean, somebody comes up to you. I mean, I mean you're already seeing the awe of the Messiah. And he's like, come. Let me, we'll make fishers of, I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, like, who doesn't want to follow that? You know, I, I mean, I have some people that I work with and like, Hey, let's go and tear this up. And like, some of them I want to follow. And some of them like, yeah, no, you go do that, man. You know, but to go out on a limb with these guys they're I mean, they're giving up everything. (coughs) They're giving up all that they have. They're like, these guys just left their dad on a boat. Like, think about that. My dad's like, I'm helping my dad fish. And then I'm like, later, dad, I'm going to go do this. One, my dad probably be upset. And two, you know, I just gave up my whole life. I like the language. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Derek. I was just going to say, and they're, they're leaving knowing like, right before this, John the Baptist had been arrested. Uh, for, I mean, I don't know why he'd be arrested for the way he preaches, right? Boldly calling people broods of vipers and stuff. But yeah. They're, I mean, they can expect this is probably going to happen to me as well. Um, I think it's cool too. I mean, it shows some fortitude and. Again, I can't think of the words I'm going for, but send it. Go for it. Yeah, no. <laughs> send it. Send Show it. some gall. Exactly Show right. some gall. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I love the expression. I'm so, I, every time I read this, I love the expression, fishers of men. I love it so yeah. much. Um, Greg Laurie, um, the expression fishing for men is an important one for us to understand. Another way to translate it, it would be catching men alive. Um, we find this phrase only two times in the Bible. First, Matthew 4.19, which is where we head here. And then in 2 Timothy 2.26, where it describes those who have been ensnared by Satan. Um, thus, Scripture provides a striking contrast. Either we will catch men and women alive or the devil will. I love it. Uh, I, had, I go on this fishing trip uh, each year with uh, the men in our Sunday school class. And the thing that, you know, I noticed the first time I went, I came back and I was very much changed uh, in the way that I approached everything. And 
you know, they were talking about like, we might need to change the name because everybody just thinks, well, we're going fishing because ultimately it's a trout fishing trip. And, but other guys have started breaking off and they'll play golf or they'll go hiking, they'll go biking, they go do all sorts of things down at Broken Bow. There's a lot to do down there. But I told them you can't change it because you are literally fishing. You are fishing. You're just fishing for men. It's a different scenario. So it's not what you intended, but it's what's happening. When I think that there's an important lesson there as well, that intentions matter, names matter, timing matters. <clears throat> there's so much in a story like this, like I'm going to make you fishers of men. He's using, using language that they understand because fishing at this time was not an easy thing. Otherwise, most of the people in that area would have just been fishing. This was a hard task. You had your ups and downs. You had your good years and your bad years, your good seasons and your bad seasons. But it's like, if you're fishing for men, there's, there's always going to be fish. There's always going to be someone that needs to be caught. And, he, and he's saying that I will make you fishers of men. He's like, I'm not going to just snap my fingers and all of a sudden you are a fisher of men. And again, he's calling them and then they're going to walk around with them for the next few years. And he's going to make them into what he needs them to be after he's gone. There was no shortcut in that. No shortcut at all. Nope. No shortcut Wouldn't at that all. Wouldn't that have been a lot easier, Ryan? Yeah. If he, he just, just yeah, snapped his fingers and was like, boom, fisher, y'all are super ready for all of this. Yeah. Because yeah. They, they wouldn't have gotten that personal development. I mean, you go read in Matthew when he's like talking with the, with the uh, disciples. Like you can see some of the frustration when trying to explain things. You know, he's just like, ah, oh, man, you don't see it, do you? You know? <laughs> but like, that's the thing. It's like. But the, how are they going to learn? Yeah. And you don't just get wisdom. You're, yeah. not, you're not granted wisdom, I guess. I found that like very humbling because there's many times with my kids, I'm like, you don't get it, do you? You know, like what's going on here? And it's just like, you know what? They don't. Why? Because they don't know. I can't snap my fingers and make them smart. You know, I can't. I'm still trying it and I'm just going to yeah. like, I'll keep reporting back <laughs> yeah. on how that's going. It won't work. And you know, but I have to remember, I have to look at how Christ was with the disciples. Yeah. There might be a, a lovingly frustration about it, but there's, you know, it's their learning and Christ knew that these guys were learning and he's just trying to teach them and, and he's teaching them and, I, and they didn't take a shortcut. I mean, they followed this guy for three years and they learned from him and even they even learned from him after his death. You know, they were, you know, Peter was learning from Paul. Paul was learning from Peter. So it's just an amazing thing to look at. I agree. Let's go ahead and get into the last part here of Matthew 4. Derek, if you will read 23 through 25, please. And he went throughout Galilee, all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So the population of Galilee around this time, I saw a few hundred thousand, so maybe 300,000, about 200 different villages is where this ministry was taking place. Uh, I thought the John MacArthur commentary pointed this out, uh, and I thought it was great that you can boil down all of Jesus's ministry into a nutshell. Jesus did three things, teaching, preaching, healing. Mm. That was what Jesus did on this planet, okay? And everything that we see described, red letters or not, is going to be in one of those three categories of teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, I don't necessarily this late in the podcast want to open up the uh, 
gift of healing box. So let's maybe stick with teaching and preaching uh, for right now. Wait, wait, you're pointing at me. Do you want to talk about yeah. healing? Well, no, I just think it's like, that's the, the part of this that people are going to look at. It's like, oh man, he healed people from all these diseases. Great thing. That's awesome. But look at the stones that Christ had and the fact that he went into synagogues and preached the gospel. He walked into synagogues and said, repent. Uh, the end is near or the kingdom of the kingdom of uh, God is near. Um, that that's a lot. That's like us walking into like a church that we know is probably not a church that's really preaching the gospel or, or biblically sound and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Like that's huge. I mean, you could get killed probably even nowadays doing that, but back then they could have definitely taken them out and stoned them. It takes chased some, them out. It takes some bravery to actually go in and actually, you know, He's fishing for men. Even then Jesus yeah. is, I mean, and you know, I do like the other idea here is like one of the first things that he's doing is he's creating his own community with the disciples. I mean, that's one of the first things he does when he starts his ministry. But, um, you know, I think the, the concept of, I mean, discipleship and, and ministering, I mean, they're going, he's going to minister to these great crowds. He's got the disciples with him. Uh, I like the idea that Jesus is not trying to limit it to four walls. I mean, he's just out and he's doing these things. Um, that's fishing. Um, I, I read a quote, uh, can't remember, don't know who said it, but uh, asking, are we keepers of the aquarium or are we fishers of men? Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, especially the church going crowd, I think a lot of times we can fall into being keepers of the aquarium. I like how you brought that up and that it's not in these four walls. How many times did we sit in these four walls and we act like Christians and we do our Christian, you know, we do what we do as Christians, but outside those four walls, how do we let culture define us and how do we act um, with other people who aren't our Christian brothers and sisters looking at us? And so you, I think it's a great thing to look at that, how Christ did it within the four walls and he did it outside the four walls. Sorry, I'm frustrated that the camera has turned off for two times. So those of you listening to this on audio, you're like, what was that sound? That was the sound of me hating everything um, off in the background because tech is so stupid. I don't even know what you just said because literally I just shorted out. My brain just shorted out. I saw you get really mad. I was like, did I say something wrong? No, it wasn't you. This time it wasn't you that said something that made me mad. Uh, I do. There's one other thing I think I'd like to bring up here is, you know, Kyle, you kind of talked about talking to them in their language. Uh, you know, he's talking to fishermen and he's talking to them about being fishers of men. Whatever your profession, it can be a ministry. Um, and to be honest with you, I mean, I'm a CPA. I don't think I could go in and minister to an attorney effect, you know, and exceptionally well, or Derek, I probably couldn't talk to your pilot buddies and minister them as well as you could, because you have common interests, you have common knowledge. There's ways for us to do that. It's not that it's impossible to do. But if you look at your workplace as your, this is a ministry and I have the ability to be a fisher of men right here where I'm at, because I already know these people. I know what they're like. I'm one of them to an extent. Um, but I don't think that, I mean, I think one of the other fallacies is I don't think that following Jesus necessarily is I have to abandon my jobs or my skills. To the contrary, I think God gives us a lot of these skills and abilities so he reaches places that maybe past, pastors cannot. You know, I think there's, you know, 
Marty Grubbs, who's my pastor, is probably not going to come to my office and start ministering to people. Neither is Terry Fakes, uh, as much as I, as awesome as that would be. It's not going to happen. And so it's my job. It's my responsibility to try and disciple to those people who are at my workplace. I can't think of a better way to leave it, uh, mainly because I'm still mad about the camera. But guys, uh, if, if anybody would like to get a lot of pro bono work in on uh, doing tech for the forging table, that would be amazing because this happens literally every time we try to record. The camera just keeps turning off. Ryan, did you have something else you wanted to hit right before we went off? No, I'm good. You had some special stuff on your screen there. I was looking up a word because I was thinking of like our sermon today at church. Uh, I was on the Good Samaritan and how, you know, Christ was walking into synagogues and preaching a gospel the gospel to, uh, to, to people and how that's kind of like a, I would, I would say not crazy, but I couldn't find the right word where it's, it's not crazy. It's just like, I don't know, taboo or I, I can't think of the right word, but how he brought up in the good Samaritan, um, you know, he talks about the Levite and he talks about the priest. And as he's talking to the, as he's talking to the Jewish leaders and then he brings up, you know, pastor pointed out, you know, the third guy comes up, they're all thinking it's going to, Oh, it's just going to be a Jewish layman. And he just throws out a Samaritan. I mean, like, he, and he's like, that's like in our time being like, yeah, a Nazi or something like that. <laughs> you know, like that was just like, you know, like, you know, like the last thing you think he's going to bring up is a Samaritan and just, just how he just knew how to talk to people and how he knew how to, to explain the gospel in a, in a way that was just, you know, like I probably wouldn't have said that. That's not winsome. You know what I'm saying? And so I, it just made me think about that when, when you read about him starting his ministry. It's interesting to use the word winsome. I'll tell you off air. The, the audience is like, why is he going to tell him this off air? There's something about the, the use of the word winsome. So just remind me as soon as we get done. But guys, we're going to leave that there. But come back here next, um, uh, next Sunday where we're going to dig into Matthew 5. And guys, like... I mean, everyone's looking at me crazy. And I mean, the text I got from y'all this week was like, hey, are we really only going to do an hour on Matthew 5, guys? You could have a pastor spend his entire year just breaking down Matthew 5, which is really only the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to get into the Sermon on the Mount. I'm very, very excited about it. So make sure that you read through Matthew 5 to get ready for next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. The link I've got for you there is a link to our donation page. We cannot pull off anything without donors. Guys, throughout my multiple surgeries this year and everything that we were doing, the only way we were able to keep the lights on is because we have donors that are dedicated to our mission and to our cause. And if you don't think that you're an important part to that, you are wrong. Share this content with people, but also hop on board to financially support us. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Per Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>